As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of The Total Soccer Show is presented by Electric E-Bikes, makers of the number one selling e-bike in America. They are truly awesome. Thank you so much to Electric E-Bikes for sponsoring today's show. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and we've got quite a bit of weekend to review. To do so, I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. Veteran Wedding Attendee himself. <laughs> it's Graham Ruffin. Graham, this is like your third wedding this year yeah. for someone who claims to never leave their home. I feel like you are the most social of butterflies these days. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Yes, I have had a pretty a pretty heavy wedding season. I think that's just the age that I... I'm at now. I have I've just about recovered from a, a pretty heavy wedding yeah. on Saturday. There was a lot of drinking from shoes. That's all I'll that's all I'll <laughs> say. But I have uh, I've done my homework. I've caught up on what I missed on on Saturday. Just the two of us today. Joe's Ryan Bailey apology tour of Europe is continuing. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who has seen the TSS Plus Patreon, Ryan is back in his natural habitat. Yeah. No, I don't mean the United States. I mean Chile's. So I presume <laughs> he is missing today's show because he re- he's refusing to ever le- leave his booth yes. again. Yes, that is, he's now, uh, that is where he is renting, I believe. Uh, he's gonna be working from Chili's. He has his own custom booth. He'll be recording from there, working from there. It's gonna be an interesting approach, uh, to life in the United States, but Ryan Bailey is back. Uh, he and his Mustang are back where they belong, of course. They came uh, over he, on the flight together. That was sitting yes, in the seat next to him. Yes. The, the Mustang was actually in uh, business class. Yes. And the of rest course. of the family was in, was in uh, coach. They were actually in, uh, they were in like the cargo hold, I think, but the, the, the Mustang was up front, uh, as is tradition. Uh, Ryan, also speaking of tradition, tends to give us a rhyming introduction to review the events of the weekend and set the stage. I'm going a different direction, Graham. Sometimes I go rhyming. There were too many difficult rhymes to kind of cram together. So instead, we have a weekend review quiz to start Ooh. things off. Are you ready? I've got, I believe, nine questions for you. Some are shorter than others. Okay, I'm ready. I like All questions. right. Uh, it is September, which means which annual tradition has kicked off in Germany? 
Oktoberfest. There you go. Uh, that was a very strong talking point in the Bayern Munich, Bayern Leverkusen coverage over here. I'm sure there are reasons for Do it. Do you know the uh, reason I know that? I'm sure you can guess the reason that I know that Oktoberfest actually starts in mid-September. Can you guess? It's because you drank a lot this weekend? <laughs> well, that might be part of it. But it is primarily because Bayern Munich wore an Oktoberfest kit for yes. their game against Bayer Leverkusen on, on, on Friday night. And that is the reason that I know Oktoberfest started on Saturday. How did you feel about that green Bayern kit? Uh, mixed thoughts. Mixed thoughts. Yep. I mean, Bayern Munich are just determined not to wear a red shirt at mm-hmm. any point this season. Yep. It seems their, their home shirt is white and now they're wearing this kind of like slimy green colour. Slimy green is correct, yes. I didn't, I, I didn't love the colourway. That's the mm-hmm. thing that's putting me off. But the kit generally is quite nicely put together. Uh, we are obviously going to spend some time talking about Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen. They played out to a 2-2 draw on Friday. Here's your second question, Graham. Which Leverkusen player, who also dro- doubles as Graham's preferred compliment, looked lively <laughs> in the attack for Leverkusen? That would be Mr. Boniface. There you go. Do, do you like him because of that name? Because of the name? Do you get Partly, to say yeah. it with that accent? Okay, cool. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, which veteran center back, Graham, made his first appearance for his new club for whom he last played in the 2004-2005 season? This was not in the Bundesliga. Oh, this would be uh, Mr. Pouphousery himself. Yes, sir. Returning to Sevilla <laughs> after trash-talking Sevilla and their fans <laughs> for the best part of two decades. Yep. Talking about apology tours, Joe's on the Ryan Bailey apology tour. Sergio Ramos is currently on the Sergio Ramos apology tour. One-stop Seville. I think he had a, a good block with his face, so maybe that was a little bit of comeuppance uh, from the weekend. Graham, three for three so far. Uh, here's your next one. Richie is Ange Postacoglu's nickname for which goal scorer from the weekend? Oh, that would be the the man with the back tattoo. Yes, that sir. Would be Richarlison. <laughs> yep. I thought you were going to tell me that that was, that was his nickname. That Ange Postacoglu goes by the, the nickname of Richie. Why? What is for? What reason? I was going to go Australia. I mean, who knows? Ange Ricky Postacoglu does also sound sort of <laughs> like it could happen. So maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. But Graham, well done there. Uh, final one, and then we get to the lightning round. Uh, Callum Wilson continued his 100% record uh, at what this weekend during Newcastle's one 0 win over Brentford. Oh, this is the game I didn't watch. I didn't catch the Newcastle uh, win over Brentford. I know he scored. Is it like goals after international breaks or something? How do how did he score this weekend? Do you do you know? Oh, uh, is it with a is it with a header? I'm not actually no. sure. I didn't see the goal. It was from twelve yards out. Oh, he so is. All- all of his goals for Newcastle United are from 12 yards or less? Is he that is it? 10 for 10 in penalties wow. taken uh, since moving to Newcastle. He's 100% record. He says it's all about uh, repetition, practice, and calm or something like that. He There's nothing to be pressure. It's all just repetition. Uh, <laughs> one miss so far, but Graham, I think you'll do well in the lightning round. Uh, I need one word answers from you for these okay. four questions. You ready? Yep. Manchester United, good? No. Brighton, good? Yes. Real Madrid, very good. Sorta. That's one word. <laughs> AC Milan, battered. Uh, correct. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Eight for nine for Graham for the weekend review quiz to start things off. Uh, let's stick with Manchester United, not good. Brighton, very good. Manchester United losing three to one to Brighton at home in a game that was predictable in the way it it played out but then also unpredictable at the same time which doesn't really make sense but Mm. i did feel like this was 
a get-right opportunity for Manchester United after the international break. It felt like they would have some time to figure some things out, to get the lineup set, uh, and to maybe spring a surprise, and then we would have the narrative that, like, Eric Ten Hag has figured it out, Manchester United back on track. Instead, that lasted about 20 minutes until Brighton figured out exactly what they were doing, capitalized upon it, Roberto De Zerbi, an incredible manager, and Brighton with the win, Graham. Yeah, I think maybe the most concerning thing for Manchester United is nobody was really surprised by this result. Mm. Uh, Brighton are just a better team than Manchester United right now. And this was their fourth straight win over them, which when you consider the financial advantage Manchester United have, that is (laughs) quite remarkable. But um, Brighton are just such a well-coached team. They have a deceptive level of squad depth where they make changes for this game. They made six changes in all from the the, the win over... Um, who did they beat before the international break? I can't even remember who that, who that was against. But anyway, Newcastle, that was it. Um, so they made six changes from that game. There's no Evan Ferguson, no Billy Gilmore. He comes out um, and they, they still play like this. And, and what they're doing is a bit of a joke at this point where there was a, a graphic going around social media after this game which showed that their entire starting lineup for this match yep. cost less than one Diogo Dallo, £16 million. Uh, and, and obviously we have uh, seen overachievers, <laughs> nervous laughter there from Taylor, uh, yeah. we, we've seen overachievers in, in the Premier League before, like obviously Leicester City, but without wishing to minimise what Leicester have done and what we've seen from other teams, a lot of the time it's kind of... Uh, stay compact, stay deep, hit on the mm-hmm. counter, run hard, a high effort level and, and things like that. Brighton are passing around Manchester United at Old Trafford with a team that is worth £16 million. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. It is kind of amazing. And then I think even more amazing when you look at how quickly they adapted to what Manchester United were doing. Uh, I read a few different pieces about how Brighton sort of changed their approach. I watched this game twice, Graham, uh, because I'm a masochist, but also I was fascinated in this idea, and it's totally correct, that for the first 15 or 20 minutes, if you go back and watch, Manchester United are the dominant team. They're creating more chances, they're moving the ball faster, they're winning 50-50s, they're winning loose balls, they are the more physical of the teams, and a lot of that has to do with the way they set up, which is more of a 4-4-2 diamond of sorts than we're used to seeing from them, Uh, but it ends up being a a front three, and I think the idea is that when Brighton build out, when they restart from a goal kick or something like that, you have the front three sort of tight together, and so they're preventing uh, any balls into the midfield two. In this case, it was uh, Mahmoud Daoud and uh, Pascal Gross, Uh, and so when you negate those two options, it means that Steele, the goalkeeper, has to pass uh, to one of the two center backs who were usually taking up positions in not in the half spaces, basically, they were still inside their own uh, penalty area right at the corners of the 18 yard box. And so that front three for Manchester United can then, as soon as the ball is played, uh, cut off half the pitch, uh, put players under pressure. They're blocking off uh, any sort of ball from, let's say it goes to Lewis Dunk on the left. Uh, they're, they're cutting out any option for him to play to Lamptey to then play to Daoud. They're basically really compressing space, putting Brighton underneath it. And Brighton end up either going direct or giving the ball away pretty regularly in those first 15 or 20. And they cut to uh, Roberto De Zerbe around that time, and you see him sort of having very animated conversations with his assistant as he walks out into his technical area and then starts giving instructions. And within a minute or two, uh, whenever they restart, uh, Van Heck, the right center back, will take a much wider position. Lewis Dunk will take a much wider position as well. And it's a minor adjustment. I think they're probably 10 yards wider each. But what that means now is when the ball goes wide to one of them, that Manchester United front three has to cover more ground and they start getting more stretched. And then the ball uh, wide and then back into Pasco Gross is on. And now you've sort of bypassed that front wave of pressure. You've got a player on the ball with time and space. 
Manchester United did an okay job tracking that, but then Danny Welbeck starts to pop up in different areas, and and Brighton really find their way into the game after Manchester United threw this big sort of obstacle at them. And and all that to say, I came away from this game even more impressed with Roberto De Zerbi because it wasn't just he figured out what Manchester mm-hmm. United were doing and then nullified it. He figured out what Manchester United had set up to do to frustrate Brighton and basically used it as a trap to, to was basically like, okay, you guys do that. We will do this to play around that. But because you're now doing what you're doing, you can't really defend the adjustment we're going to make. You're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep exploiting it. And that's pretty much how this game played out. The one time Brighton made a mistake in that they gave the ball away. Manchester United almost score from it. So there is still that potency to the Manchester United counter, but the way Brighton were able to just adjust what they did in this game yeah. to completely flummox Manchester United was really impressive. Yeah, I certainly agree that in terms of the first 15 minutes, or really up until the Brighton, the first Brighton goal, Manchester United actually looked quite comfortable mm-hmm. and quite strong. But that is something that we have seen numerous times from Manchester United, even going back to Ralph Ranić and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that when something goes wrong, there's something about this group of players that they go, oh, well, that's it. It's all done. Like, we're not coming back from this. They seem, there's something about... Yep. I don't know whether it's to do with the coaching, I don't know whether it's to do with the collective mindset, but they seem very, very easy to break as a team. And as the game went on, Brighton did more and more of that. I thought Brighton started to figure out that by dropping Welbeck or or, or Gio Pedro into at least someone from the attacking line into the, the midfield, they could eliminate that numerical advantage that Manchester United had with the, the midfield diamond, where if you look at it on paper, it was a four versus three in the middle. They could eliminate that. So there were times when uh, Lissandro Martinez was being dragged into the middle. Mm-hmm. Brighton would then lay the ball back and then spread it out wide. And all of a sudden, they have an overload against the Manchester United defence in the wide areas. It, it was the sort of situation that the opening goal came from. And then it got to a point of the match where Manchester United's intensity dropped off a cliff. Brighton were able to get get it through the middle of the pitch without any sort of pressure on the ball. I thought Marcus Rashford was particularly bad for this. There's a, a clip. I'm always wary of social media highlights that are like 10 seconds long, but nonetheless, there is a moment where Brighton are playing out from the back. They feed the ball into the centre. The ball is about three yards away from Marcus Rashford, and there's no mm-hmm. attempt whatsoever to engage from him. It wasn't just Marcus Rashford. I, I thought um, Scott McTominay was culpable in that regard a couple times. I thought Fernandez as well, even Casemiro. And as I say, I just find that Man United are among the worst at not reacting to changes in game state. I don't know whether that's down to coaching, intelligence, whatever. As I say, I don't fully understand it. And we saw it. We've we've seen it a number of times over the course of this season. We're only five or six games into the season. I think we've seen it maybe three or four games this campaign. And this was another one. There, There is a strong, to, to your point, there's a strong here we go again uh, energy to Manchester United that when something goes wrong, uh, when things don't work out or when they can see the goal, it doesn't seem to be like, okay, heads up, let's keep going, let's keep working, let's figure it out. It it just feels like if you're trying to like repair a household item and you try the repair once and it like doesn't quite work and then it's still not working in this way and there comes that moment when you just feel like, okay, nothing I'm doing matters. It doesn't matter. Whatever I do, it's still not going to work. And sometimes you end up fixing it and sometimes you don't. And right now it feels like Manchester United are just a team that as soon as something goes wrong, they doubt that they're going to be able to fix it. They doubt they're going to be able to turn it around. And I think 
uh, critically, and to your point about a few of the individuals, they also, I think, stop functioning as a unit. And a huge part of, I think, existing and succeeding in the Premier League is about playing as a unit and knowing the patterns of play, knowing the rotations, knowing how to adjust your positioning on the fly. I think it's a huge thing people work on in training to be able to find pockets of space and little gaps that you're not supposed to find to wear down the opposition. And Manchester United, by contrast, I think really end up defaulting to individual ability, which can work because they have a lot of very expensive players who are very good, but also it leads to moments of individuality, especially on the defensive side that I think are problematic. And to your point about Rashford, a thing that I thought was really interesting is that Brighton at times in possession, once they sort of play out of that initial pressure for Manchester United, would on occasion around midfield, the center backs are just like putting their foot on the ball. And it and it was so deliberately slow that I started really paying attention to it. And it is, when you're 1-0 up in Old Trafford, a slight like, come and get it vibe. Like, what are you going to do? You got to score a goal. We don't need to do anything. And, and And just how deliberately slow they would be at times on the ball. After the first couple times of that, Rashford in particular would go sprinting 20 yards to try to make something happen. He'd get wall passed or easily bypassed, and then you'd see him turn and just sort of throw his hands up in frustration. But it was clear that wasn't what they were supposed to do. But once one player does it, it would start to happen in the midfield where individuals would step out and try to make plays. Uh, Martinez, who I think was shattering, uh, shadowing Danny Welbeck, definitely not shattering because Welbeck scores in this one. <laughs> Um, but even he would, I think, start to to drift a little bit or be uncertain when he was supposed to track versus when he was supposed to stay home. And if you contrast that with the first 15 minutes or so where he has a really good understanding, it seems, with uh, Victor Lindelof, his center back partner, of when to go, when to sit, you can just see the the kind of wheels coming off, the, the gears grinding to a halt. And by contrast, Brighton just looking increasingly confident in a game at Old Trafford where you would expect Manchester United to try to make something happen, to try to make a difference. And they just weren't able yeah. to. Yeah, I just thought there was a stark contrast between Brighton, who are a very intelligent team. They mm-hmm. keep you on uh, your toes in terms of their shape, which constantly changes throughout the match. Yep. And as you say, Taylor, there are moments where they're really slowing the, the game down. But then all of a sudden, yeah. boom, there's a diagonal out to Matoma. And all of a sudden, he he is driving at the, the right back or, or the, or the defence. So there's a variety to their play as well. They, they have good recognition of, of, of game state. And then you contrast that to Manchester United. And I've said this about Manchester United before, but and I don't mean this on an on an individual basis. I'm not having to go at individuals or or, or, or pers- uh, personal players here. But as a team, they're a stupid team. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't do any of these things. They don't have any any kind of recognition <laughs> of how games are going. You Eric Ten Hag had two weeks here to set up, and I know players are away on international duty and, and and so on. So maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. But nonetheless, he had two weeks here to work on something that would mitigate the lack of um, depth and options in the wide areas. Of course, Anthony is uh, currently unavailable. He's not training with the team after allegations of domestic abuse. Jaden Sancho is training with the reserves or the youth team or whatever after the the statement following the the, the defeat to Arsenal before the international break. So Eric Ten Hag had to do two things. He had to bolster his midfield and he had to counter what the, the lack of options on the, on the wing. And he comes up with a system which on paper and in theory should have worked quite well. I didn't, I didn't dislike what Eric Ten Hag did for this game. But then there are moments where Fernandez clearly doesn't know where he's meant to be. Casemiro, who 
it's like how many Champions League titles has he won? Like five or six with Real Madrid. He's played at the, the elite level. He yeah. looks like he doesn't really know what, where he's meant to be. Scott McTominay, who I know gets a lot of flack from Manchester United fans. I watch for Scotland and for Scotland has played as a right-sided centre-back. He's played as a right-back. He's played as a midfield anchor. He's played an attacking midfielder. He's played as a winger. And every single time, one of the things I'd say about Scott McTominay is he takes on information well and he does what you ask him to do. Apart from when he's playing for Manchester United, when he does mm-hmm. none of those things. So they, they're just a very, very confusing group of players. Yes. Casemiro, especially very confusing, has the great debut season. There's the concern amongst Manchester United fans about the amount of money spent on him and then the length of that contract. But in that first season, it feels like, oh, this is a stroke of genius. And now the narrative seems to be Real Madrid are very good at moving on players when they've decided they're not going to fit the system or not quite where they were, but can still command a high price tag because Casemiro does not cover himself in glory in this game for that opening goal. Welbeck just drifts past him. And, and there's a lack of alertness there that I think, to your point, speaks to a larger issue with Manchester United of switching off or not knowing their responsibilities. I will say two things that I think this is coming from me as a Manchester United fan. Maybe I am searching for silver linings, but there are two things I think that are important here. Number one, you mentioned some of it. The list of injuries is pretty ridiculous that you could have more or less a starting 11 for Manchester United. Yeah, I read that, that Wambasaka's out. out today as well he for is over two months. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But I mean, that's, uh, you mentioned Anthony, you mentioned Sancho, you've got Malasia out, Amrabat, Varane, Mount, Shaw, Kobe Minu. Now, um, now Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think uh, Tom Heaton is maybe also hurt. So you've got another, you've got a goalkeeper in there too. That's basically. a really important one. That's the one that's holding my United back. Of course. <laughs> that just goes a long way towards allowing you to have an actual 11 uh, of players. <laughs> but I think there there are injuries that have to be covered. And then I think on top of that, to your point about the, the international break, I think Ten Hag does set this team up well. I think the game plan was very smart. And I think it did throw a wrench into what Brighton want to do. This is where squad chemistry and squad consistency is so critical, though, that it felt to me like Manchester United's plan A and plan B were sort of already nullified due to injuries and due to things that haven't been working. So they were on plan C and they worked really, really hard on plan C and it was working for the first 15 or 20 minutes. But that was basically against Brighton's plan A. And then they're like, oh, okay, well, then we'll do plan B and we still have plan C and plan D in reserve. Like, I think it's the Brighton have more cohesion and unity to this team. And I think when I look at Manchester United, I still have faith in a lot of the players. I still have faith in Eriksen Hogg, but I think it's very much a work yeah. in progress. And I think the mentality rot is so strong there that I, I don't really blame Eriksen Hogg for this. I think sacking him would be a big mistake. I think it continues to be about building a team that has belief and spirit, but also adaptability uh, and uh improvisational skills as well and i don't think they're there certainly not at the start of the season they've had a rough start it's a high degree of difficulty but it is still definitely not where united fans would have expected to be though they are are only i believe one point worse off than they were this time last year yeah i believe it's manchester city's worst start to a league campaign true. now since 1989 or something yep. like that yep and um, which when you consider where manchester city have been in yeah. recent years since ferguson <laughs> is great. is not great but i i do think there's been a, a shift in the dynamic with ten hag as manager where in the past post ferguson you could look at the managers and each individual manager they've had you could say well maybe he has the issue you could david moyes is he up to the, at that sort of level louis van Howe, he's passed it Jose Mourinho, he's passed it. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't really have the tactical nerves to set up Manchester City to break down mm-hmm. low defensive blocks. Eric Ten Hag 
I separate him out from those. I mean, Jose Mourinho obviously in his day was was magnificent, but my United got him past his sell-by date, expiration date, essentially. But Eric Ten Hag, I consider to be a very good coach. And so there's only so much of this that I can lay at his door. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't criticise decisions. I don't think he's been perfect. And, 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 and I certainly question his rebuild of the midfield over the summer and, and going for Mason Mount as the the solution to everything. I don't think that has worked. Oh, but no? I, I kind of wonder, like, where do my next turn? If, if Ten Hag isn't the solution, how do they sell it to the fans that the next guy is going to be the solution? When they went and got one of the best, I know Ten Hag's not very young actually, but one of the best like up and coming managers mm-hmm. who'd achieved a lot elsewhere, other clubs wanted him. He then has success in the first season ahead of schedule. Manchester United were ahead of schedule last year, finishing in third, not even in the top four, third mm-hmm. last season and winning the League Cup. How do they sell that to fans if it comes to the point where these results continue and they then they sack Ten Hag? Yeah. I feel like Ten Hag is going to have more time to figure this out because if Manchester United are clever, they will recognise that that the fans in that situation will become very toxic against the boards and the Glazers and that whole situation at that club. I think that's where there's a difference. Yeah, and and to your point, I think it starts to feel like it isn't just about the manager at that point, or it's a thing that a manager cannot fix. And I think like it is firmly established at that point. If let's say they did, maybe he loses a couple more games and they sacked him and they brought in Roberto De Zerbi, uh, who, as we've just talked about, a very good manager makes really smart decisions. He's able to play with the squad that are significantly uh, less valuable, but at the same time play much better. And you bring him into Manchester United it feels a little bit like adding a drop of fresh water to the ocean and being like, okay, that should do it. It's fresh water now, right? Like the the issues at that at that club, I think, run so deep that it feels like you have to have a like unified approach to change, or you have to stay the course and sort of keep emphasizing the the freshwater aspects if you want to go continue that sort of strange analogy but i think you have to stick with ten hog you have to continue to back him you have to make the academy function the way he wants it to function you are sort of building it around a a personality at that point but that worked well Mm -hmm. under sir alex ferguson eric ten hog is not sir alex ferguson but i think the consistency and the I, i think just having a person in charge there for more than one season, more than two seasons, it starts to make it feel like, okay, this is the person. We've got to listen to him. We've got to do what he says. There's got to be that collective buy-in. And I and I just don't think you have that at the club. I think there's there's so much negativity. There's so much doubting and probably vestiges of uh, certainly the current owners, but like of past front office members and front office decisions that I think you have to have some level of consistency in that team to, to start to balance the scales a little bit. Mm-hmm. And clearly they're not balanced yet. Yeah, we, we've gone a bit big picture here, yeah. but just one final point on 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 this match. What did you what did you think of Hoyland? Because obviously this was his first start. He came on in the game against Arsenal, looked pretty good. I thought there was there were encouraging signs from yeah. him in this game. One of the rare bright spots for Manchester United, and then the reaction when he gets subbed off is quite interesting as well now i i think that's just due to his lack of match fitness he's not started the game for a long yeah. time he comes off when like 60 minutes or something like that that yeah. feels very much like an arranged substitution there's no protest from him that says to me he's been told that that's going to happen but nonetheless it it's it's notable that that's how fans are reacting to something like that yeah. So yes. First off, to your point, uh, it is indeed uh, confirmed by Ten Hag that they he's not he's not ninety minutes fit. He's sixty minutes fit. So it was a planned swap. 
the boos were were interesting to me. The commentators uh, talked a lot about how, like, yeah, you're taking off your striker to bring on a defender. Nobody wants to see that. And that might be the case. I, though, was inclined to think they were booing because it wasn't Marcus Rashford, who I, I, I thought we saw why he is in this team on occasion, where he would take people on, he would make things happen, he was creativity in the box. But he is also so often heads down in his decision-making that he shoots from tight angles, he shoots from uh, like angles where it's going to get blocked or has defenders in front of him, and oftentimes he shoots when he has a pass on or when he can mm. keep possession going. And I felt like this was a... Very representative game of how frustrating he has become as a player, that he is not going to give you the like multi-goals a game or even one goal a game or something close to it to justify some of that decision-making. It feels like at times he's just a little bit of a hole that if the ball goes into, it might come out of, it might end up in a goal, but it might also end 30 seconds later after a bunch of dribbling in yeah. a toe-poke shot that goes wide. There was a moment in the second half which was particularly notable in that regard where Hoyland controls a, a pass with his back against a defender and in the same movement kind of lets it through his legs to mm -hmm. then turn and open up the space. He then plays it out to Rashford. Rashford bursts into the box. Hoyland busts a gut to get to the penalty spot or the six-yard box or whatever and Rashford from no real angle at all smacks yeah. it right into the side netting and you could kind of see Hoyland... He didn't do the full arms thrown up thing, but there was a little gesture of uh, of annoyance mm -hmm. there that Rashford hadn't hadn't played him across. Uh, to be to be fair to Marcus Rashford, that is something that Manchester Manchester United haven't had in mm -hmm. such a long time. I mean, there's a disallowed goal here that we should probably mention that Hoyland scores, and it comes from Rashford cutting it back to Hoyland, and VR shows that the ball has has just gone out of play. But Manchester United haven't had a, a striker, a player in that kind of position with anticipation of a ball coming across who can stick that chance away. And they certainly haven't had someone who can turn, spread the ball out wide and then get into the six-yard box for a long, long time. So maybe I'm giving Marcus Rashford a little bit too much credit. But for about four seasons now, he hasn't had that player in the middle to aim for. Yeah. It's been up to him to shoot on goal. So maybe there's a little bit of repetition that needs to happen there. Final thing for me then. Uh, th there is... A, a like a a potential like sacred cow aspect of this that because he has been that player for so long for Manchester United and one of the few bright spots in in down periods for the club, uh, it does feel like at times players are hesitant to be like, hey man, that was the wrong choice. And I feel like everybody who's played has had those moments where there's a player who is very good or better or more high profile or whatever, and if they make a couple wrong decisions, you are going to be way less likely to be like, yo, I'm wide open than you would be if it's a player who's new or hasn't played to that level. And I think. The, the Hoyland moment is one where I, I kind of want him to turn and let Marcus Rashford have it a little bit. I think you need players to come in and challenge that hierarchy, but also show that they belong and aren't sort of deferential figures there. And I think the more we see players sort of getting into it with their, their bigger name uh, compatriots, Rashford and Bruno Fernandes would be another one. Uh, I think it can be a negative, certainly, but I'm talking about more in a positive when you're demanding a higher standard and when you're demanding, hey, that ball's got to be here, man. Like, and, and it has nothing to do with arrogance or who you are or where you've been, but more so like if we want to score goals, you can't do that. I just think that also shows more balance being built. And that's something that you see from Brighton. It's a ton of communication. It's a ton of back and forth. It's lots of stoppages uh, when the ball's out of play to have quick conversations about who needs to do what and who needs to move where and where there are openings. And, and I just think that level of communication is such a difference maker. So so again, credit to Brighton for the yeah. win. Credit to Roberto Zerbi for Manchester United. 
We've got some concerns about the Champions League fixture against Bayern Munich, though they themselves aren't flawless. So we'll see what happens, Graham. Uh, (laughs) We're going to continue to talk about the Premier League before we move to the continent. But first, we're going to take a break to hear from today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Graham, we've spent, I believe, half an hour talking about Manchester United Brighton, but that's because that was the only Premier League game this weekend, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool, cool. Well, the only one that I watched. There was only (laughs) one that was on at the wedding. So I presume nothing else happened. Uh, What was the one that when you returned? So you had the wedding on Saturday, no Wi-Fi, no cell signal. You weren't watching much. There were no screens on. When you returned, Mm. uh, I'm going to guess Brighton-Manchester United was appointment viewing. But what was the other sort of game that you wanted to uh, check out, wanted to see what happened? Well, once I found out that Spurs had scored two goals, not just in stoppage time, but like nine, 100 minutes or whatever it was, two goals as late as that. I, Latest I wanted ever to come back, out. I believe, in yeah. Premier League history. Yeah, I, I wanted to find out what had happened there. So I did make a point of uh, watching match of the day when I got home on Saturday night. Woke up on Sunday, realised I can't remember anything that I watched from match of the day the <laughs> night before. Rewatched it <laughs> for the second time. <laughs> a boy. Got some coffee in you, took some ibuprofen, and then you watched? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> I may have done that once or twice. Uh, and and what did stand out to you from that from that Spurs result? The biggest thing I've seen over and over again is just how much of a difference Ange Postacoglu seems to have brought from an energy and belief mm. standpoint that even the crowd were sort of up for it, picking the team up, cheering them on versus contrasting that with like six months ago or nine months ago with Antonio Conte. I think it would have been a much different energy of like, oh, here we go again, reactive football, we can't win, we're too defensive, it's not going to happen, what's going wrong? And and for there to just be belief and spirit, even if it had finished one-to-one, I feel like just getting that goal back, it's another positive sign of the growth of this team. That they end up winning, I would say, is doubly Mm. positive. Yeah, so remember I said when Poscoglu was uh, appointed, I'm going to milk this one all season long. When he was appointed, I said Spurs fans would really like him as a person. So I'm feeling pretty good about that one. There's been a number of good clips from him this season. He was speaking about Sir Richarlison, who scores an important goal in this game, very publicly speaking about his struggles with mental health um, this season and and, and this year. And then Poscoglu followed that up with a a very good uh, kind of statement in a press conference on that sort of thing. So I feel feel good about uh, Spurs fans liking their manager which hasn't happened for a long long time and then the other thing I said was that his team would play fun football and I also feel pretty good about that well the thing that I missed out was that Spurs will score a lot of late goals this season this is a mark of Postacoglu teams they did it at Celtic apparently it was a thing in Japan and Australia as well as you say there um, Taylor in this match they scored the latest goal in Premier League history at 100 minutes absolute limbs in the stands when that goal goes in from uh, from Kuliskev's. You have that in the notes. Can you, I mean, I feel like I get it now with the context, (laughs) but can you explain what that means? 
just there's you can see a lot of limbs on the camera <laughs> like people throwing up arms and maybe a leg up there as well um yeah lots of limbs in the stands for for, for this goal and um, spurs fans celebrating it this is now the, the uh, spurs best start to a league season for 58 years which is quite remarkable That's several they've got years arsenal yeah they've got arsenal in the north london derby this weekend I can't wait for that match. That might be the most excited I've been about. Certainly a Premier League match this season, maybe any match in in Europe or anywhere in the world this, so far this season. I think that'll be a real test for Tottenham. And I, I feel like it's going to be entertaining given how those two teams um, play. As I mentioned, a big moment for Richarlison in this game. He scores the goal to equalise um, to make it 1-1. It's kind of weird to me that he's become such a figure of derision because with this goal, he becomes only the third Brazilian to score 50 Premier League goals. Hmm. So, like, he's he's been successful. Like, he's he's got a proven record, just not at Spurs, yeah, obviously. Exactly. That's the big one there, I think. But he's... <laughs> The pre- previously he was playing like he was trying to get into Harry Kane's position yeah. in the team that's always going to be difficult for him and I'm not saying that he's going to be the replacement for Harry Kane they're very very different players but I definitely think Richarlison has a has a use and has a purpose um, so hopefully this will be uh, a catalyst for him I do I do quite like how the Spurs fans have really have really thrown their weight behind him since he since he gave that interview about his mental mental health struggles so I'm now uh, personally not just rooting for Big Ange but I'm I'm uh, Rooting for Richie, as you called him. <laughs> he did indeed. Uh, yes, and Richarlison, I think, has the weight of the price tag, the fact that he wasn't scoring, the fact that he's brought in under the old manager. So there's this feeling of you broke the bank to bring in this guy who then didn't work out for the old coach, and now he's still there. And then the Harry Kane replacement aspect, I think all factor into why there is much speculation about him and why he's not doing better. So to have him come in uh, as an impact change and get the goal Certainly going to make him feel better. Certainly, I think, makes Postacoglu look better, makes Spurs fans feel better. But then also, to your point about them sort of getting these late winners and finding ways back into games, it's another example of Postacoglu making proactive changes. Richarlison comes on, Brennan Johnson comes on, and is a very influential player in this comeback. So I think you have in Postacoglu a manager who has gotten complete buy-in from the team, and I guess from the front office as well, and you see how well that works out. Uh, I would say the same goes when it comes to buy-in for Pep Guardiola. Uh, yeah, saying he has buy-in from his team is a little bit of an understatement, uh, but mm. this season, I think one of the more interesting developments we've seen as Man City uh, end up with a 3-1 to win over West Ham on the road is... A thing that, to give you credit, Graham, you you had a lot of hype for Postacoglu. You had a, a lot of hype for uh, the Julian Alvarez uh, as a striker conversation and how many goals he would score and how influential he would be. You've had him in your starting fantasy team alongside Erling Haaland. And I guess Pep Guardiola took note. And now you have a strike partnership of sorts at, at Manchester City, which is not a thing I expected heading into this season. Yeah, to be fair to Pep, I don't think he's taken notes on how to set up his team from my fantasy mm, um, selection. He might I made that I made that fantasy selection after watching City in preseason and guessing that Alvarez was going to have an important uh, role to play for City. Yeah, another Chicken excellent of the egg, game. Graham. Chicken of the egg. That's what I said. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, he was he was excellent in this game again. He just seems to be getting um, better and better. Alvarez has has assist for Bernardo Silva's goal to make it. Was that the two one goal? I think it's this little scoop pass over the top, and then Bernardo Silva just uh, kind of throws himself at it and finishes it. Lovely, lovely pass. I thought Jeremy Doku was very impressive for City in in, in this game as well, and has he's played two games now, and I've thought has has caught the eye. I do kind of wonder what that means for Jack Grealish and his place in this team because he, uh, Doku obviously plays on the left side of the attack. I think Doku, look, we've only got two games as a Man City player to go off, but 
he just looks maybe a little bit quicker to run at defenders and make a decision. And, and maybe there will be some games where Pep often likes his wide players to slow down the game and have that control. So I'm not saying Grealish is, is going to be uh, completely exiled from the fr- the first team here, but Doku has settled very, very well. I thought this was a good win for City because West Ham have had an excellent start to the season. And even in this match, they posed a real threat. It was a similar approach to the one that worked so well against Brighton, where West Ham soaked up a lot and then tried to get forward quickly when they could. And that's how they scored the opener through James Ward-Prowse with a, a rare, I can't imagine he's scored many diving headers in his in his career, but that's that's one for the record book. And then in the second half, City quickened things up and it was a dif- different game in the second half. But the real big headline from this match was that Man City brought on a player called Oscar Bob, a 20-year-old academy player called Oscar Bob. Why has nobody told me that Man City have a player called Oscar Bob? That's instantly my new favourite game in the, uh, new favourite name, excuse me, in the Premier League. Pardon me? Oscar, Oscar Bob? Bob? <laughs> That's made up. That's no, made up. That's like FIFA couldn't get the rights to somebody, so they had to bring in <laughs> Oscar Bob with two Bs. Oscar yep. Bob, tell me more about you, Oscar Bob. 20 years old, do you know the, his uh, his national team? Uh, the, like, Netherlands or something, I don't know. Norway. Don't Norway. <laughs> yes. One for one in passing. 100% passing record. We, That's what you need. Do we think he's maybe just Haaland's mate? Like, he's just been brought over <laughs> yes. to keep them company. And... It's like how uh, uh, Donnarumma's brother always moves with him. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, they're just bringing in, like, his, the comfort blanket, the friendship blanket uh. to make him happy. Sure, why not? Why not? I like that idea. Uh, so City, top of the table. Uh, Tottenham in second. Liverpool in third with a 3-1 win over Wolves. Wolves with a seventh-minute uh, goal. Strong first half, and then uh, maybe things go a different way in the second half, Graham. Yeah, when you're an underdog and you score after seven minutes, that's too early. That's it's too, too much early. of the game to go. And you kind of got that sense with with, with Wolves. Uh, a win for Liverpool and an early kickoff on a, on a Saturday. They didn't do that once in six attempts last season. So that's some form of improvement. I don't know if that matters much at all. Um, but for a long period of this match, it didn't seem like Liverpool were going to get the win. So as you say, Huang Hee-chan gives Wolves an early lead after after good work by Pedro Neto down the left wing. Kind of took Liverpool until the second half to offer any sort of response. But when it came, it came. And uh, Gakpo gets the equaliser. Then Andy Robertson popped up in a pos- position inside the box from sort of like the right side to make it 2-1. I have watched Andy Robertson for, I think, over 10 years, maybe 12 plus years at, at this point. I don't think I have ever seen him in that area of the pitch. So I was a little bit confused by that. He couldn't he couldn't have done that against England last week. No, rather than just passing the ball straight to go. Jude Bellingham inside the box for He's him learning. to score for England. No, He's learning, Graham. That. Okay, well, hopefully we'll see an improvement in the next international window. Harvey Elliott gets the third goal for Liverpool to make sure of the win. And Liverpool are kind of slowly building momentum now. What they got, um, they've, they've only dropped uh, points in one game, right? The opening game of the season against Chelsea. They've won every single other game in the Premier League. So I'm not ready to put them on Man City's level yet. But if you're asking me to nominate a potential challenger, I'm looking at Arsenal and I'm, I'm looking at Liverpool again. Well, speaking of Arsenal, uh, they are one spot behind Liverpool, currently in fourth Arsenal. They get the 1-0 win over Everton. No drama at all, no controversy in this one, Graham. You're referring to hmm? the, well, what, the, the, the the disallowed goal? I'm the, referring the... to David Reyes starting in goal. That right, feels like okay. a pretty big moment trying... to me. 
see if you, if if there's a game at Goodison Park and you're talking about controversy, I'm I like, see. right, there's That's there's fair. a long list of things to pick from. That's I was like, is, are you talking about the Everton takeover? Are you talking about David Rea? I was going to go for the David Rea thing, but yeah, that is the the biggest headline from this game was was David Rea starting over uh, Aaron Ramsdale, which felt like a, a very big call by Arteta. I actually think the debate around this was yeah. was kind of more interesting than the match itself, where Arteta came out afterwards. And he said um, <laughs> something along the lines of, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but something along the lines of he'd, he'd sub keepers during matches if it wasn't such a big cultural taboo in English soccer and basically hinting in that... English soccer, and, right. That's a normal yeah. thing everywhere else. Just in England, it's an odd to substitute <laughs> a goalkeeper. Yeah. Yeah. So a cultural thing in football in general, sure. I guess. But he's sort of hinting he's going to switch between the two a lot, and which we, we sort of expected. That's not too surprising but maybe maybe we'll see ryan ramsdale being uh, subbed on and off during games which would be something different yeah i think it's it's how readily his quotes can be taken out of context because the initial headline i saw was like i wanted to pull ramsdale twice before i made this choice and it's it's all sort of been built up as like arteta has lost faith in ramsdale ramsdale's not good enough pouring salt in the wound that sort of thing but i it does seem more of a just like no i want to be able to use different goalkeepers in different situations and and also, if the day doesn't feel like the right day, then we'll make a change. I, I reject the idea that that's strictly an English thing. I think any time a goalkeeper is substituted in the game, it's either like it's an injury or it's head games right before penalties. Short of that, mm. something very wrong has happened. So I, 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 I understand why he makes that change. I have less patience for the explanation around it. Uh, any other thoughts on that game? Leandro Trossard, who I consistently fails to remember has moved to Arsenal. Like, even I will see him in the Arsenal team and be like, oh, yeah, he plays for Brighton. He's good. I don't know why that is, but he scores the winner here, Graham. Uh, any other notes uh, on this one? Just that that was a, a very nice goal, and I loved that from the the uh, corner or the, uh, maybe it wasn't a corner, but the situation on the right wing, Arsenal tried to set up the sequence, couldn't, and then reset and did it for a set for a second time and were able to run through that. And I think that's just the, the sign of a well coach team that they, they were able to have that intelligence during during that that sequence and, mm. to, and to redo it other than that no i don't really have many other notes sunday wasn't a great day in the premier league as i say i was at a wedding on saturday night so, so was fe- feeling a bit <laughs> worse for wear on sunday and watching bournemouth draw nil nil with chelsea before it. arsenal scraped a one nil win over everton yeah that, that, that didn't help much i don't know whatever you mean all right let's let's uh move to italy then shall we where inter are top of the table they went into the Milan Derby with three wins from three games. So too did Milan, but it's Inter with the win, which is impressive, not just because of the scoreline. A five to one scoreline is always going to be a talking point in the Milan Derby, but because while Milan have strengthened this summer, Inter have once again sold a lot of players. They don't have some of the big names still in that team. Lukaku chief amongst them, but uh, defenders moved on, midfielders moved on, attackers moved on, and yet here they are, top of the table. Graham, is the secret just keep selling your players and you'll be fine? Well, it's the Brighton method. There we go. They're just, See? All right, they're cool. just copying Brighton, yeah. I'm glad we they, figured they this one out. Yeah, I mean, Brighton have got a front line of Adam Lallana, Danny Welbeck, James Milner. So enter with Lataro Martinez, Marcus Turam. Yeah, they're going to win the Champions League if they're following the Brighton model <laughs> with that level of talent. Yes. Uh, I think they'll also win the league as long as they face uh, Kair and Tia as the two defenders. Uh, Milan had to start them uh, due to, I believe, a suspension and an injury to their usual starting centre-back pairing. And man, did it show that those are not their usual center backs. Tia especially just completely struggling with Marcus Duram for the first goal. Duran sort of 
literally runs him over, but no foul given. <laughs> and I think that's the correct decision. Tiago goes down way too easily. Uh, and then Taram is able to play the ball in for the opener. Uh, and then also, I believe Taram cuts inside for that rocket of a goal into the top corner and looked like no one could handle him from an AC Milan yeah. standpoint. Uh, Marcus Taram, that was probably the best I can remember him looking. He's looked good for Gladbach and the times I've watched him, but this, he felt almost unplayable at times. Yeah, there's there's so much to like about this this inter front two of, of mm-hmm. Martinez and, and Taram. I know Eden Zeko did a good job last season in that role along alongside Martinez, but I think Taram is a big upgrade on oh, yeah. Eden Zeko. He's got good physicality, his movement gets him around the pitch a lot more, which creates more angles for Inter in the in the attack. As you say, his strike for the second goal is an absolute stunner. So yes, I very much liked what I've seen from Marcus Turan as, as, as an Inter player. He's come a long way from when he visited San Siro as a fan two or three years ago and security turned him away because they didn't believe he was Marcus Turan, <laughs> which is a real thing that happened. There Hurtful. is a picture of Hurtful. him go- Googling himself to show the security guard. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that security guard knows who he is now that he's starring for Inter. I believe The weekend asks people to Google themselves so he knows that they're famous or not. And I guess it's also Milan security guards as well. Why not? Uh, <laughs> that partnership, Graham, I'm with you, I, I think looks particularly electric. And I think a lot of that has to do with how much they complement each other, but also how much they're both willing to do the other's job. It's not just one drops in and one stays higher. They seem to rotate who is going to link up play, who's going to move deeper. Uh, they seem to have a really good understanding of who will like play on one side, but then if one drifts to the other, they can switch. There's a very good understanding there. And then on top of that, you have moments like for the second goal when Lautaro Martinez on, like it comes from a sustained Milan attack. The ball is kind of partially cleared. It goes to him and he on the half volley hits a 60 yard volley perfectly in stride for Denzel Dumfries, who, uh, under hits his ball back across for Taram. Taram then collects it. It feels like maybe the moment's gone, and that's when he takes the touch and then hits the one into the top corner. But just how lethal they looked on the break, combined with how good they looked in possession, it yeah. was a comprehensively good performance from Inter, not just because they scored five goals. Yeah, I thought I thought the midfield as well was 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 impressive for for Inter, but a bad matchup for for yeah. AC Milan, whereby pushing the the Inter pushing the midfield for a uh, five forward and then having the front two of Martinez and Turam, and then pushing Bastoni into midfield as well, it always felt like there was a free player somewhere, and it was it was often uh, Chalanoglu, which is is not something you want with his his shooting ability or just general ability to to make something happen. So it really did feel like I mean it's reflected in the goal in the in the scoreline, of course, Inter really did have the run of this game. I thought um, if we're to uh, take an American-centric mm-hmm. look at things for a moment, I thought out of possession Pulisic didn't offer a great deal, and so it wasn't surprising to see him hooked early in the second half. And I honestly feel like, and I know this, is not, this isn't his best position, but that AC Milan midfield felt a little bit lightweight. And, and I, I, I feel like having Yunus Musa's coverage in the middle would have helped AC Milan who who just they just didn't yep. seem to have the strength to stop Inter from running over the top of them and I think Yunus Musa actually comes on he comes on late in this match how many minutes did he get he like got six, four minutes yeah, plus stoppage like that, time yeah. so he didn't really have and and that was the scoreline was 4-1 at that point so he didn't really have an opportunity to make an impact on this game but yeah I feel like having him in from the start may have uh, helped AC Milan although yeah. not to the extent that they 
get something out of this game. There was a big difference between the two teams. It'll be interesting by the time this return fixture is played, if he is starting more regularly, because it feels like it would have been a huge talking point for him to start in this game. But as the season goes on, I feel like it will be less of a talking point because I do expect him to start getting more minutes more regularly. So we'll see what happens in that return leg. Yeah. Uh, one other game to mention from Serie A. Just quickly, Taylor, oh, ahead, before please. you move on, did you see that Zlatan visited uh, Milanello this morning? Milanello is, uh, is the training ground that, that AC Milan have to give the team a talking to after the Derby defeat. I saw this on oh social media, God. him arriving in his car. That's the same Zlatan Ibrahimovic who retired yeah. this summer. He's now fully leaning into his career as a motivational Speaker. Oh. It's only a matter of time until he's on a podcast with Jordan Peterson trying to shift some sort of brain health supplement. That, I give see, it a few months. I mean, that would be troubling. I, I went the, the other route. I, he's like Wooderson, Matthew McConaughey's character from uh, Dazed and Confused. Like he's he's the high schooler who's graduated but just keeps coming back to the high school parties. Like Zlatan <laughs> just keeps showing up on match days for Milan, even though he retired seven years ago. He just keeps showing up and talking about how like it'd be a lot cooler if you scored some goals, man. Uh, th- that's what I see Zlatan uh, doing. But I'm glad he is there to motivate the team. Maybe he has worked the, that magic on Lecce, who are presently in, I believe, fourth place in Serie A. That is not a thing I expect from them i also did not expect juve to look as good as they have looked they get the three to one win over lazio on the weekend uh in their three five two we have the tradition continuing weston mckinney starts in the right wing back spot off in the 72nd minute for timothy weah uh, as is hmm. the rule with juve you can only have the one american on the pitch at any given moment yeah things might have been different if weston mckinney hadn't said that thing about ranch sauce on pizza yeah maybe they would have allowed two americans <laughs> at a time but that's the burden that americans have to bear for weston mckinney being weston mckinney if he like dipped his pizza in ranch while breaking pasta before boiling it and then cutting it with a knife i think and then maybe adding like sugar to coffee i'm not sure what else would 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 infuriate the italian yeah. masses but i'm sure he's working his way through the list yeah let's just hope that Lionel messi never has to visit italy after his uh, pizza from the weekend <laughs> that, that incredible incredible thing oh it was it was glorious and i'm sure alexis from the cooligans is furious still have you about seen his it. segment have you have you seen his segment no. on did he do a thing uh, footy morning yeah he did <laughs> a whole course. segment it's like it's like a dissertation it's incredible it's genuinely very very funny and like informative i learned things oh uh, yeah yeah uh if you spend 20 minutes with alexis you will get that presentation that's how it works that's his <laughs> his opening to friendship is if you sit through that it's a, it's a positive sign right away for him uh we're going to take a quick break from talking about alexis and pizza and also soccer uh we'll be back to talk about germany spain major league soccer all that good stuff in just a moment today's episode is brought to you by our old friends mac weldon wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways like a zero calorie cheeseburger internet ads in march that weren't just reminders to do your taxes a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold a manchester united that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... 
I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're talking about the weekend review. The weekend, I guess, starts on Friday afternoon, uh, which is when we had Bayern Munich playing Bayer Leverkusen to a 2-2 draw. Bayer in there, or Bayern, excuse me, in their slime green, as you called it. It's a weird, like, tan green. It's not a good look. I didn't like it. Mm. Uh, I liked Bayer Leverkusen more, and I've liked Bayer Leverkusen a lot this season. Go ahead, Graham. Yeah, if if Bayern Munich's kit is beer-themed, and it's kind of that green color, it reminds me of like beers that i had when i was at college like they would have a beer and then someone would put like a bright blue vodka drink in it and it would be some kind of what? you never had a power shandy what is this ridiculous co- a power shandy no i have not yeah. i've avoided shandies outright let alone a power shandy so the power shandy is just like half a pint of lager and a pint glass and then i think this is a british thing but we have like blue vodka drinks called wicked's and you just pour a wicked and it's actually better than it sounds but that that feels like Maybe what Byron's kit was based off was a power shandy. 
Oh, Scotland. Oh, Scotland. Uh, see, I thought <laughs> you were going to like, like St. Paddy's Day leftover beer that they were just right. like, yeah, you know yeah. what? We're, we'll go with that. Why not? It, it's still around. And that is kind of yeah. uh, Bayern Munich at, at present, uh, which it, it's they're such a strange team because they are so good and have so much talent and their stadium is always rowdy. It's always fun to watch them play. And in the opening 10 or 15 minutes, if you know nothing about them, you would have thought like, oh, yeah, this is the age old Bayern Munich. They're going to win every game comfortably. They were fully dominant. Leverkusen yeah. on their heels could not play out, could not complete a pass. Bayern I Munich was happening again. Them. Yeah, right. Like, there's a number of times where we've had like a challenger. We've anointed a challenger as a collective to Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. They then play Bayern Munich and Bayern Munich stick like six or seven past yep. them. Yeah. I thought it was happening again, first 20 minutes. And, and it, totally, because it wasn't even just that Leverkusen couldn't get out of the pressure, couldn't get any sort of possession going. It was just also that, okay, fine, we're going to sit in a back five with four ahead of them and we'll just make, oh, no, you passed right through us. Like Bayern kept passing through, kept getting shots, kept getting opportunities. Uh, with all that said, the goal is a fairly fortunate one. Harry Kane just like knowing where to be. He, he pulls a Muller hello and pops up in an unexpected place at the exact right moment. It's a flick on from, I believe, Tapsoba off of the corner that goes to Harry Kane at the back post. Uh, he heads Bayern Munich into the 1-0 lead, and it felt like, okay, here we go. To your point, Graham, like 3-1 to one, maybe at halftime, 5-1 to mm. one full-time result. They're going to score right after halftime to make it 4-1, to one, and then they'll get like one more of the 70th minute, and we've seen this before. And that is not how this played out. So credit to Bayer Leverkusen for that to begin with. But I also feel like special credit to them for how things look so one-sided and how they're able to get back into this game. Uh, lots of hype for Bayer Leverkusen coming from me, mm. and I'm going to continue to do so. I've been very happy about the way they started this season, not just because Xabi Alonso uh, is the future of management, and I think we can all agree <laughs> on that fully, uh, but because I think they're a fun team that does a lot of different interesting things uh, as needed. If one thing isn't working, then they will find a different way. Yeah, they are a very well-coached team, and as you say, that didn't come across in the opening 20 minutes or so, but they were able to steady themselves, they they grew into the game, they got running in between the lines, they had a lot of joy down the, the right side, Alfonso Davies didn't always look comfortable, there was space in behind him, of course he then concedes the, the late penalty that Leverkusen scored the, the equaliser from, and a lot of what Leverkusen did in this match reminded me of how RB Leipzig dismantled Bayern Munich in the, in the Super Cup, of course Leverkusen don't get the win here, but there is now a pattern of, of Bayern really struggling and looking exposed any time they face an opponent who are, who are good in quick transition. That midfield just seems very open at times, and, and I, I wonder if that's the thing that yeah. stops them from really challenging for the Champions League this season, even with Harry Kane in attack. Maybe Harry Kane is good enough that he, he's a band-aid that kind of covers all, and, and they do win the Champions League this season. But the midfield is an issue. Right back is an issue as well. Tuchel seems to be pushing um, Conrad Leimer into the middle from right back to try and get another body in there. But then the issue was that Alex Grimaldo, who, by the way, scores a stunning free kick yeah. equaliser. The, the, the whole game kind of pivots on that moment because I thought Bayern were pretty dominant until that, until that goal. And then it was a very different match after that moment. But Grimaldo, even looking beyond that free kick, was playing high as a, a left wing back and that gave him a lot of space. So... Bayern obviously have a squad full of, of talented players, but there is this little bit of an imbalance between the midfield and the fullbacks yeah. that involves Joshua Kimmich and Konrad Leimer and Goretzka, Goretzka and Tuchel, much like Nagelsmann, hasn't quite been able to figure out the balance there. Yeah, and, and I also think 
didn't quite figure out his approach in this game because you said Limer at right back, sometimes playing as a conventional right back, sometimes moving centrally to give them numbers. And it felt like the other thing they were going for on the defensive side was to have Afonso Davies step and mark Jeremy Frimpong, the right wing back, uh, early and often. So Frimpong would get on the ball in the opening 15 minutes or so. And I think three different times he tries stuff 1v1 and either doesn't guess, get past Alfonso Davies or if he does, there's a secondary defender there to pick up that kind of like five or 10 yard touch uh, and then Bayern are back in possession. I think a little adjustment they made, uh, Leverkusen, was to have Frimpong just start a little bit deeper. And instead of being maybe 20 yards up the pitch, now he's like 20 yards further back, but Alfonso Davies is still tracking him. And so, so often... Alfonso Davies goes all the way up to get the Frimpong and a ball would go from the right center back or uh, to, to Frimpong. He'd just play it centrally uh, to Andrique or to Shaka. And then they would just play a ball into the massive amount of space that Alfonso Davies had vacated. Goretzka is theoretically the one who's supposed to track there. But if he's marking somebody centrally, he kept having to slide out 30 yards. He leaves somebody open and there's a domino effect that seems to keep falling. Um, so, with that said, Bayern Munich still get the point. They still get a draw. Uh, but definitely, I think with the way Leverkusen pull one back late, mm-hmm. it feels like an opportunity lost and it feels like more problems for Bayern. And that's what I was getting at with the introduction to this, that to watch those opening minutes for Bayern Munich, it just feels like, yep, same old thing. We've seen this. They're going to roll this uh, opponent. They're going to be just fine. And and as you watch the game go on and they look less and less comfortable and you start to see little moments of infighting, uh, a big talking point on the ESPN broadcast was about how Tuchel has claimed he doesn't have a holding six, which was a thing that I was less familiar with until uh, this game. Uh, here you go. He's talked about in his words, we don't have a real holding six who thinks very defensively, who makes sure nothing happens back there, who is more concerned with protecting the defense. Graham, why is this an area of concern for Bayern Munich, a Bayern Munich who typically, at least in the Bundesliga, are not overly concerned with being defensive and having people to shield the back line? Well, I think in in the Bundesliga, they get away with not having that player. I think Tuchel's probably looking at what is happening in these games against Leverkusen and Leipzig, who are comparable quality to Bayern Munich, and then extrapolating it out to the Champions League, where Bayern Munich, that's where they want to make the real mark. They want to win another European Cup. And as I say, it's one of the things that might hold them back is against teams in quick transition that can move the ball quickly, that can get players in between the lines. I thought Florian Wirtz in this game was very good. It's great to see him back and being fun and dribbly and dangerous in between the lines. He had a, a bad injury and it's how, at such a young age, you worry that maybe that'll affect him for a long time. But Leverkusen, I've, 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 or Alonso's gotten back into form and he kind of epitomized and embodied the sort of player that Bayern Munich have had trouble with. I mean, Christopher Nkuku used to give Bayern Munich trouble every time he played them. And obviously that's largely because Christopher Nkuku is a a very good player. But I think this is something that's shared both by Bayern Munich and Germany. There's overlap between the two. We spoke about Germany, was that last week after the international break and how they didn't have that structure in central midfield and Bayern Munich don't have that player either. My my question is, where does that player fit in? Like who's been replaced Mm -hmm. in that team? Is 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 it Leon Goretzka? Are you moving Joshua Kimmich back to right back there was uh, Michael Ballack I think is essentially the the German Gary Neville now on on German Sky he was saying Joshua Kimmich isn't a central midfielder he had some spicy quotes after this game said he's not a central midfielder his future is at right back that's where he has to play for for Bayern Munich um, for the next few years if is, is that maybe where a number six would come in I know Joshua Kimmich, Kimmich is officially Bayern Munich's number six but in terms of how they play 
Is that the replacement? So, yeah, it does feel like Tuchel is aware of that imbalance in midfield. Ryan Gravenberch left for Liverpool and on deadline day. He wasn't going to be that player. I think Tuchel had decided. But there hasn't really been an effort to bring that player in. Uh uh, Casemiro is obviously who they need. Manchester United will let him go for a cool seventy million, uh, if, if need be. Speaking of that, Graham, with the sort of vulnerability uh, Bayern Munich have when teams do go direct or kind of hit them fast in transition, is that an opportunity for Manchester United that does feel like a thing that they can still do quite well? It's kind of the only area where I think Manchester United could could cause problem, Bayern Munich problems. Yeah, if they go full Ollie Ball. If uh-huh. they still have that muscle memory, absolutely, yeah, they could cause cause Bayern Munich trouble. But I would argue that in games where they have had the opportunity to do, to do that this season, I mean, Brighton, if you if you if you can accept the the indignity of conceding the majority of possession at home in a game against Brighton, Manchester had the chance to play that way on Saturday and didn't, or or weren't able to. So I've, we've not seen that kind of performance from Manchester United's in a while like there were glimpses of it against Arsenal before the international break but they didn't really have the defensive solidity to pull it off it feels like their def- their decision making in the final third is off at the moment as well so in theory yes in reality I'm not sure that will happen are you still leaning towards your 20 nil prediction that you sent me <laughs> yeah so for context in a uh, in fault mob they they show the time and it's it's showing uh, you know twenty hundred hours eight o'clock in, in the evening European time, and so someone on Twitter cropped it and said, "Fort Mob are making a prediction already twenty <laughs> 0 Bayern Munich." Ha 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 ha! I said, <laughs> uh, "I love that one." I I loved it. It was so much fun and not at all a frightening possibility. Uh, let's talk La Liga. Uh, Real Madrid remain at top of the table. Remain uh, unbeaten with a two to one win over Real Sociedad. Uh, Graham, anybody making a debut for Sociedad that you want to mention? Or for L'Oreal, oh, excuse me. Yeah, I, I don't know, maybe a certain Kieran Tierney making his, uh, his La Liga debut at, at the Bernabeu. I was actually very impressed by what I saw from L'Oreal, and I swear it's not just because Kieran Tierney turned up with his plastic Tesco bag. They took the lead in this game. Taki Kubo looked to have made it 2-0 with a, a, a fantastic shot from outside the box. Um, there was an interference call and it was ruled out, which was pretty unfortunate. This match for large periods was the Taki Kubo show. Certainly in the first half, there were about five proper moments of, of magic, including a nutmeg on Tony Kroos. And it was the way he did it as well. It was, Taylor, you'll know what I'm talking about here. It wasn't just a, like a side foot pass through the legs. It was one of those ones where he's, he's foot's on top of the ball and then he rolls it oh. through the legs. It was, I mean, oh, Tony so Kroos, insulting. I'm not sure Tony that's Kroos so has, has, yeah, I'm not sure he's got a soul. Yeah, uh, left any anymore. It was it was amazing. Lariel had loads of the ball, and to be honest, um, Madrid were quite happy to let them have it, given how they play. But it's still quite jarring to see an away team come to the Bernabeu and and, and play like that. But second half, things changed a little bit. I, I don't think there was any kind of tactical change from Ancelotti. I just think Real Madrid's individual quality sort of shone through. In the end, this was a big match for Fran Garcia. He's faced a bit of criticism this season since coming in from Rio Vallecano in the summer. He's looked a bit shaky in matches, but he gets um, both assists in this game and his cross for Hosselu's goal, the winner, was especially good. Um, and that is a different dimension for Real Madrid to have a fullback on the left who can burst forward and, and get a cross in. They really haven't had that player since Marcelo, I guess. Um, so Real Madrid have the, the Madrid derby next weekend. They've won five out of five in La Liga so far. That will be a, a real marker for them to go to the Metropolitano. And, and if they can make it six from six, that would that would be certainly very impressive. Uh, Barcelona 
in second place, two points behind Real Madrid. Uh, they they had the draw in their opener. They've won four straight. Fairly emphatically this weekend, Graham, yeah. with a 5 0 win. Uh, and then also, I feel like a confidence building win because you get goals for Jao Felix, for Robert Lewandowski, for Torres, for Rafinha, and Jao Cancelo. So players who needed goals got them. New signings got goals. New signings of the season got goals. Mm-hmm. It's good times. It's good times for Barcelona, is I guess what I'm getting at. Yeah, th- this was comfortably the best match I've seen Barcelona play this season. And keep in mind that Real Betis, they're a good team. They want mm-hmm. to finish in the, in the top four this season. They got completely dismantled in this game. And, and Barca were fun to watch. And the two Yaos, Cancelo and, and, and Felix, made a big difference. I think most people knew that Cancelo would fit in well, given his ability to get forward down the right, but also get into central areas. And, and Barca have needed a player on that side of the defence, like Yao Cancelo. He's a very, very good fit for that role. Yao Felix was, was more surprising because we spoke about this last week in, in listener questions. I wasn't sure what his role would be in this Barcelona team, but he kind of had a bit of a free role on on the left side where on paper he's a left winger, but he's coming inside and linking up with Lewandowski. And that really helped Lewandowski to have him as a second second striker. Felix was dropping into pockets. His, his touch around the corner for Lewandowski's goal was fantastic and is the sort of thing that Lewandowski has been denied, I think, so far this season is, is having that player buzzing around him. So this was a, a, a very positive, encouraging start by Yao Felix. But... And I don't want to um, pour cold water on anything. I remember when he had an excellent start to life at Chelsea. And that kind of faded away very, very quickly. So I want to see, a, nobody is doubting Yao Felix's talent, but I want to see a run of consistent performances from him. Graham, do you, do you think Barcelona will have the ability to get past Royal Antwerp in the Champions League? I don't know how they could possibly well, uh, not do so. They well know that Sam Vines has been left That's out of the, the Royal Antwerp squad mm-hmm. due to uh, administrative error, which is such a that is such a kick in the teeth to be serious for a moment that he's not in that Champions League squad because someone forgot to include him in an email. That feels that feels personal. It feels like a conspiracy, an anti-American <laughs> conspiracy. You heard it here first, Graham. You talked about Rabatis as being a talented team that wants to get into the top four, but got dismantled this weekend. That's my segue to talking about Atleti. What, what happened yeah. there? Let's talk about it. Yeah, well, I'm not entirely sure. that This was such a momentum killer for Atleti. They lost 3-0 to Valencia at Mestalla. As I mentioned, they've got the Derby next weekend, so not good timing for them. Of course, the Champions League group stage starting this week as well. They had been La Liga's top scorers. They'd been in very, very good form. And people were asking if they'd finally changed their style to be a bit more attack-minded, a bit more expansive. I think for those people who want to see Atleti play that type of soccer, this defeat is badly timed because I think we'll see Simeone go back to his default against Real Madrid next weekend um, because they were just so open in this match. So Hugo Juro gets two. Um, as I say, they just looked very open and vulnerable whenever Valencia came forward and on, on the counter and in, or in transition. And if they do that against Real Madrid, given their strengths in that area of the game, then they will get dismantled by Real Madrid just like they did Valencia in this game. And one final thing to mention about this match, before the match, as part of a a sponsorship activation, so La Liga is now called EA Sports FC La Liga, which rolls off the tongue, of course, Um, but both teams posed with cards before the game, which showed their FIFA ratings, which is now called EA Sports FC. Um, what if your rating is rubbish yep. and you're standing there like a bit humiliating having to show everyone you've got like 55 pace standing there with your card? <laughs> just just 
just like sitting there being furious about the rating. I do feel like that is the thing that happens with teams is that players get really annoyed about the speed rating and players will complain about that. That happens in Madden too, I think. So I like that. I don't really like those moments. Like similarly, a thing that I wasn't as familiar with and I'm still kind of confused by Serie A seems to be doing a thing where as soon as a goal is scored, they put the ball on display, which I'm assuming is just a like product tie in or maybe there's some weird like you can bid on this one if you want to. But I also saw something about blockchain verified goal balls, and I don't know what to make of that. It feels like a lot of words that lead to scams. So I'm content to just leave it where it is. I don't think those words mean anything. There we go. I think there's there's a ball, and they've put words around that ball to try and sell that ball to people. Yep, that sounds about right. Two words that do have meaning, L and Trafico. Uh, LAFC with a 4-2 win over the LA Galaxy. David Goss will be here tomorrow to talk about some Americans and some Major League Soccer updates. Uh, but Graham, let's close it out with a little El Trafico. Yeah, six goals in this game, 4-2 to LAFC over the Galaxy. Pretty standard for a fixture between these two teams, to be honest. It feels like the most reliable fixture in world soccer for producing goals and and, and drama. Um, I still can't get my head around Billy Sharp playing for the Galaxy. Why is that? I don't know. I was trying to think about why it's so weird. Is it because his name's Billy Sharp? It's just so, like, standard English soccer player. Even though he's had a great career, him playing for the Galaxy just... It just feels a bit weird, well, okay. but he scored a good goal in this game. So people, for people, if there are people who aren't following the Galaxy, aren't as familiar, haven't seen that one, why is Billy Sharp a talking point in a uh, 4-2 loss by the Galaxy to LAFC? For so you, he's, I mean. he scores. He scores a very nice equalizer mere seconds after LAFC have, have taken a 1-0 lead. In this game, I, I um, he's doing okay for the but, Galaxy, isn't he? Like, I think he's who he's is got he? A few Graham? Goals. Who is Billy Sharp? Give us more. Billy Sharp. He's a he's Billy a young nineteen year old, right? Totally. <laughs> Not quite. No, Billy Sharp is a thirty seven year old former uh, Sheffield United striker, a bit of a legend for Sheffield United. One hundred nine goals in two hundred eighty two games for Sheffield United. He is. Uh, I hope I'm not doing a disservice to him here because he has had a, dis- a decent career, but he's a he's a bit of an EFL journeyman. He's played for Sheffield United, Rushton and Diamonds, Scunthorpe United, oh, Doncaster Rovers, Southampton, Nottingham Forest, Reading, Doncaster Rovers, Leeds, and then back to Sheffield United. And now he's at the LA Galaxy. And when you contrast how the LA Galaxy used to be like the marquee club of MLS, they would get the Beckhams, the Gerrards, the Robbie Keens, and while Inter Miami have Messi, Busquets, and Jordi Alba, the Galaxy Galaxy have gone out and signed uh, Billy Sharp, even though he seems to be doing a good job for them. Are we getting the Billy Sharp cam? Are we getting the Billy Sharp profiles? And where is he shopping? What pizza is he making? Are we mm. getting that level of coverage, do you think? Well, I think I think he's really big in Japan, Billy Sharp. So there, there's surely going to be some sponsorship activation in, uh, in Japan there it's, to grow MLS. It's him and Tom Waits. That's a very esoteric <laughs> reference to bring this one to a close. Uh, Graham Ruthven, thank you for uh, talking about the weekend that was, uh, albeit with a lingering slight hangover today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not entirely sure if a lot of these things that I talked about actually happened yep. or whether it was just a hallucination that I had between uh, Saturday night and this morning. Talking of yeah, that's, stories that's that might brand. be hallucinated. That's on brand for yeah. us. Yeah, so, talking of stories that might be a hallucination, I have to finish on my favourite story uh. of the weekend. So Las Palmas, we talked about Sergio Ramos making his second uh, Sevilla debut. They beat Las Palmas 1-0, which is actually a decent result for Las Palmas, given that half of their team missed the flight to the match what? because 15 players and two physios were getting coffee in the airport and missed the gate closing. <laughs> 
How does that happen? If they didn't rush through the airport Home Alone style with the music going, I'll be disappointed if that didn't happen. I mean, do do you think it was Home Alone style? Or do you think it was Home Alone 2? Like, did they follow the wrong manager in a trench coat and, and yeah. he took them to the wrong city? Did they end up in New York is, I guess, what I'm asking. Yeah. Well, rumor has it that they hitched a lift to the match with the Polka King, John Candy. <laughs> So that's my favorite story oh, from the weekend. He rules. God, he is so good in that movie. John Candy, it's good at everything, but his cameo on that one where he like lightheartedly talks about forgetting one of his children for a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, man. Oh, Home Alone is great. Uh, I look forward to watching that. Graham, I look forward to talking with you about more soccer uh, this week. You're going to be off on vacation, though, next week. Uh, so we'll have to really uh, like get, get you in as many episodes as possible to, mm. to, to get our Graham fix for the ensuing week. Yeah, I'm going to Spain as well. So uh, when I'm getting coffee before my flight in the airport, I'll be keeping my eye on that departures board <laughs> so I don't pull a last promise. I've done that once. We Our flight was delayed, and so we went and got... Uh, like a meal because we thought it was they told us it was gonna be delayed for like four hours and then as we were like sauntering back we heard like margaret and taylor rockwell margaret and taylor rockwell we need you and we were the very last two people on the on mm. the plane because they fixed it very quickly and loaded yeah. everybody similar sort of story so i I went to uh, las vegas with a group of my pals when we turned 21 we're sitting at new york airport for a connecting flight and i'm sitting there going this this flight is surely taking off soon so i go up to the gate to check and, they, and they're like oh are you the are you the guys from glasgow yeah. we've been glasgow. waiting for you like get, yeah. get on the flight and everyone is looking at us as we're walking yeah. past them down there they've been waiting for us so yeah not not entirely sure how we managed that so maybe i should have some more sympathy for how las palmas got themselves into this situation i know you wouldn't have done this but there's a part me that's like you hear that like oh yeah we've been waiting on you we didn't know you're here and you're like okay sorry sorry we're gonna board it, it's glasgow though just so you know just so you know in, in the future in the future uh, i know we don't have time time is of the essence but just need to let you know that okay bye yeah. uh i didn't I, I didn't even ask them to say edinburgh because you know americans would say in edinburgh oof, that's no we know how story. to say scotland's first city we we have that like no problem oh, no. it's the other one Set that's kind of up for that. trickier you really did you really did graham ruffin <laughs> thank you for setting yourself up for that one and for talking about the weekend that was with me today Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with some MLS and Americans Abroad, but for now, we'll talk to you soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.